Hello and welcome to the Goal 4 podcast, a show all about education and inclusion. I'm Richard Ingram. Portugal is often praised as having one of the most inclusive education systems in the world, with around 98% of all students with disabilities attending mainstream schools. As stated by the OECD last year, significant efforts have been made to grant more flexibility and autonomy to local actors, including schools and school leaders. There is support for teachers to develop their professional practice, and many programmes are in place to support equity and inclusion. So what does this look like in practice? And is it working? Beaming in from Portugal to discuss this is Professor David Rodriguez. David has taught at the University of Lisbon, as well as various other universities in Portugal, the USA, Belgium and in Brazil, and has worked on international projects for UNESCO, including one of mine, for which I'm eternally grateful, UNICEF and Handicap International. He's published 30 books, dozens of articles in specialised journals, and is also a columnist for the Public and Education page. Having been president of Pro-Inclusion, National Association of Special Educational Teachers, and director of the magazine Inclusive Education, David now spends his time as a guest lecturer in countries all over the world. For his good works, David's been awarded with the Distinguished International Leadership Award, received the Gold Medal of Human Rights awarded by Portuguese Parliament, and, most excitingly, has been knighted with the Order of Public Education by the President of Portugal. It's not every day that I get to speak with a Portuguese knight. David Rodriguez, welcome to Call 4. Hello, good morning. Good morning, Richard. From Lisbon. (laughs) (laughs) It's great to have you on. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you first of all about Portugal. This is where you live and work. It's It's a country often praised for its inclusive education system. Can you describe what education and inclusion looks like in Portugal? Yeah, that's a huge question. <laughs> uh, Richard, let, let me uh, contextualize a little your question. Uh, Portugal is not a rich country, and uh, uh, we left 50 years ago a dictatorship. So uh, it's, it's, very, it's very recent, and sometimes we miss that our education should have more a little more structured because it's something very new and sometimes we we feel how new it is but anyway we had the opportunity to have a fresh start in a way <laughs> and to start uh, to 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 organize an education let us see uh, with the principles that we believe and one interesting thing in Portuguese education is that uh, we have been developing consistently with different governments, more right-wing, more left-wing, with uh, different governments, but all governments have been, have been having this, uh, this concern about development, developing education. Uh, but in fact, we started from a very low point. Just let me tell you that in... 1974, we had 30% of people that couldn't read. <laughs> Imagine. Uh, so we very low. And so our development was uh, consistent. And uh, but anyway, our starting point was very low. So nowadays, nowadays, uh, in, in Portugal, we are let us say, encouraged by uh, some good results of our education, because we have been progressing. We have, uh, uh, of course, all, all, all the youngsters and children and youngsters have uh, education of 12 years old, 12 years, uh, during 12 years, a compulsory education of 12 years. Uh, our, our rate 
of uh, school of school how would you say uh leaving school of uh, drop of drop is drop very pass, low yeah. very low we have about six percent six percent of uh, uh that th this is very interesting we have about 50 uh, percent of our youngsters with 18 years old in higher education and about about uh, inclusive education we have been let us say successful because 99 98.5 99 of all our students with disabilities are educated in regular schools and so it, it, it was a huge uh, effort and one one factor that is also important is that in international evaluations like pisa from oecd uh, pisa uh, portugal is the only country that have been progressing every year every evaluation since 2000 and so now now we are above the, the media of oecd and uh, of course we are we have this external uh, external evaluation of our progress yeah the the 98 percent or more of of students with disabilities in in mainstream schools is amazing just off the top of your head you may not have the figures to hand but how does that compare to other similar countries in in europe for example because it's yeah, a big it's, number it's a big yeah big it's number. it's higher it's higher than the majority of of uh, countries uh, uh, recently uh france was struggling to have 60 percent in regular schools and uh so but but we have uh, similar countries like us italy and you have uh, uh, several regions of uk and uh we uh, that have uh, similar rates, but uh, I would say that one of these uh, this, uh, the reasons of this progress, first of all, is that continuity. No doubt, we started in in uh, last century with first experiences of integration, and and all the time have been developing, and. Uh, we have this law of 2018, our recent law of inclusive education. And uh, a little secret is that we don't speak anymore of special education in Portugal. We, we That law says that all schools are inclusive schools. Are, what we are... Uh, we are promoting is inclusion in schools, not special education in schools. And this was a huge... Uh, it's a very, very simple, but a very huge change, because even uh, even sometimes when you speak with persons in Portugal, they say, is, is an inclusive uh, education student? That one is an inclusive. I say, no, all students are of inclusive education. All teachers are teachers of inclusive education and all schools are schools of inclusive education. And of course, this has uh, uh, some problems. This race raises some problems. One of the problems is resources. Because uh, imagine that you have old schools in Portugal are inclusive, and so you have to spread the resources in all schools. And sometimes when people say to me, you know, inclusion is a very good idea, but resources. I said, it's very easy. It's very easy. Instead of this policy, you just build 100 special schools in Portugal. You will have enough resources, for sure. For sure, you'll have enough resources. But it's not the same. It's not the same. And this, what you have here, is an ethic 
ethic option. Or you build 100 schools, special schools, full of resources, or sometimes you have to struggle with some lack of resources because all schools are inclusive. Yeah, that's um, that's so interesting. And, and it's that spreading of resources equally, I suppose it's part of that whole mindset. And it's so interesting to hear that you don't even talk about special education anymore. My, yeah. my, my first master's in the UK was on, its title was literally a master's on special educational needs. <laughs> and that is very much still the lexicon in the UK and a lot of, lot of the rest of the world as well. So yeah. you're saying that a shift away from that thinking can really make people see that, hang on, we're not just saying this is inclusive school or this is, you know, as you say, quote unquote, an inclusive child in a school. It's yeah. just the idea that all schools are inclusive for all students. Yeah, one one of the big one of the big steps uh, that we had we had and we have to 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 do is uh, uh, not paying so much attention to the diagnosis to the identification of uh, the the needs of because that is that is the very beginning of special education. Uh, special education and, uh, of course, uh, Richard, me as you, I was educated in special education. Look in my white hair. <laughs> all, my, <laughs> all my life was uh, about special education. And uh, our idea, and it's not, it's, I, I'm not being ironic, but we believe that, that if you have a good identification of child, probably you will know what to do with that child. It's what we, a clinic model. I mean, you have a diagnosis, you have characterization, and then you know what to do with that uh, child. And so the, the very beginning is this idea that you can identify needs, and those needs are not, let us say, random, are not, those needs are very specific, and you have some methodologies, some resources, some ways that you can solve those uh, difficulties. And that's presumably come from the world of medicine, where yeah. you identify, you diagnose an illness or, or an injury, and then you go about certain ways to, to make it better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, and in a way, if you, if, you, um, if you give less importance to this identification, in terms of, in the clinical model, of course, you have to give a lot of importance to understand how each student learns and which which are the difficulties which are the strengths he has and if you understand that uh, you you suddenly you have a much more open situation uh, to educate him and another thing that is very important richard is a, a conceptual i would say epistemological thinking about about uh, uh, in, uh, inclusive education is that it's not possible to think about inclusive education without a sociological perspective and a multicultural perspective. I, if you if you have a psychopedagogic perspective on teaching, you are in spe, in special education. You have to have this broad way of looking to difficulties in a multicultural, in a sociological perspective to understand not only the difficulties, but the relationship, the interaction between those difficulties, those strengths, and the difficulties and strengths of others. 
And that's where inclusion happens in a sociological perspective also. So that's important in the in the minds of, of educators. And I want to come on to that because you've worked a lot in the area of teacher training and professional development. Uh, regarding what we've just spoken about, um, how important is it that teachers are well-trained? Let us, I would say, Richard, that uh, teacher education is one of our best hopes about improving education. When you think, how can improve, education improve? I say, oh, we'll, we need resources, we need money, we need... But, but uh, teacher education remains as our... I would say our strongest hope of uh, of um, of amelioration of uh, of education. So I believe I believe in uh, in teacher education, but I don't believe in teacher education in itself. I believe teacher education, if this teacher education is done with certain rules with certain certain perspectives because nowadays sometimes you collect courses there are teachers that collect courses oh i had 20 courses of dyslexia oh fantastic and um, and what about oh i have a lot of doubts uh, to always a lot of doubts so the question is not to collect courses is to organize courses in a way that can be they can be useful that can be uh, in a way uh, I, I always remember I think it was Carl Rogers that uh, that famous uh, psychology American psychologist that used to say uh, I don't want you to be uh, to be a, a, a warehouse of ammunition but I want you to be a rifle, to be a, <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I don't want just to have those courses and so on, but how, what you can do with them. So I believe that, uh, that teacher education is our best hope to develop, to, to develop uh, education. Yeah, and it's so interesting that you can pile on the diplomas and you can do as much studying as possible and become a teacher Um, and I'm uh, and this is not to belittle teachers in any way because I'm talking about my own experiences here I I did a PGCE and then I was able to teach and doing a PGCE I had to do some you know classroom teaching and I did it in a strange way, I did it remotely and had to send videos of my teaching into mm-hmm. university. These were then, you know, graded. But most yeah. of my marks came from writing essays and and just it, like in any other course. And I was then released onto classrooms of children, really yeah, without yeah. anybody knowing if I was a good teacher or not. Now, yeah. I know in Finland, for example, there's a huge emphasis on on teacher selection and teachers almost go through an audition process beforehand about whether they are going to be a good teacher you know they have to at least have a master's qualification and so on and so on and there's a huge emphasis placed on that selection of teachers what does that what does this look like in portugal yeah we have we have a similar uh, similar uh, model I mean, teacher education in Portugal after the after the secondary education, you have five years. You need five years. For a first cycle of three years. That it's like a scientific uh, uh, cycle. Let me t- let me an example. You want to be a math teacher. 
So you need to do three years of math, not of teaching math, of math. This three years is, and this is the first level. Then you have a second level, and this second level will be a, a master on teaching math. So uh, it's all uh, the teacher education is always done in a second uh, in a second course. Only in the second cycle you get that uh, graduation that uh, you can be a teacher after only those those two years. And uh, for uh, we have support teachers too. And these support teachers, after being a teacher, you have to have five years of practice, and then you can do your your specialization, your graduation in uh, as a support teacher. And normally this, uh, these graduations is about uh, 350 hours of teaching, and then you can become a support teacher for schools. Uh, what in, in UK is SENCO, the special needs coordinator, or kind of, uh, kind of that. It's interesting to see how this is approached in different countries, in different contexts. And at what point in that five-year cycle do you think, and it might be right at the beginning, this might be a silly question, but at what point in that cycle is this idea of the inclusion and the inclusive yeah. education <laughs> brought into it? But saying yeah. that, this may already be in the psyche of these these teachers yeah. because of the general mindset in the country. Is that more accurate? Yes, we, we dream. We dream about having those infusion models. <laughs> uh, that's infusion. That is, that's, you don't need to talk about inclusion because inclusion, like the tea, is so melted with uh, all, all the other contents that you don't need to speak about inclusion. We dream about that, and we we preach all the time. We have to do that, and so, but it's difficult. It's difficult because uh, normally uh, we still have that model of you teach uh, the regular child, and then you have two disciplines. Uh, we have fifty hours about the special. <laughs> mm -hmm. We still have that, but uh, in this model, in this model, normally when you speak about inclusion is in the second cycle, when you teach about how to teach uh, the teaching uh, cycle. And uh, uh, we have good experiences and not so good experiences. We have good experiences of some universities that are already trying to melt the inclusion uh, contents in all disciplines. And I always joke saying, how is it possible to teach about curriculum development without speaking about curriculum flexibility? How is it possible? How is it possible to speak about human development without speaking about the development of people with disabilities? Well, how is it possible to speak about culture and education without uh, mentioning the different cultures that we have nowadays in our schools? The other day, I went to a school near Lisbon, and there was 29 different nationalities in, our, in that school, 29. And so how is it possible? Well, uh, what is the point of going on with this division about what is normal, what is expected, and the special cases? Uh, this, this is uh, more and more, uh, I'll say, 
I wouldn't say ridiculous, but uh, it's more uh, difficult to understand uh, this. So we have these good experiences, and we still have some some universities that go on with uh, sometimes they call specific uh, specific uh, needs uh, or uh, disciplines with these names that try to put in uh, in uh, in in a discipline all the things that should be. Have, have been said in other disciplines. So uh, it's always a challenge. I'm working a lot on, on uh, in-service education. And in-service in, in education, I think we can, we can help, we can contribute to overcome some of these difficulties, especially if uh, in-service education follows three or four uh, questions that I think are very important. Uh, uh, one thing that is very important is that uh, you have to understand what is to be a teacher. And teacher education is good if helps you to be a, a good a teacher. And uh, there are two characteristics of, of teaching that I think it's, are very important. First of all, is being a teacher is a collect, collective task. Uh, is a collective task. No, I don't believe in in single inclusive teachers or the super teacher. I don't believe that uh, they exist, but they are very weak. In the end, they are very weak. So I believe that teaching is a collective task. And second, I think teaching is a contingent task. Contingent means that uh, you don't have a plan to develop, but you develop your plan in a permanent system of feedback with what is happening around you. Contingent means that you are always learning, always reshaping, always thinking again about what you are doing. So if you think that teaching is collective and is uh, contingent, you organize teacher education with these two perspectives. That is, you have to organize teacher education as being a collective, and you have to help teachers, uh, or future teachers or the teachers, to understand that uh, they have to find ways of communicate, of working together, and uh, and this is the only way that systems can be sustainable. If not, uh, you are a super teacher for one semester and then it's the end. So if you want, really, uh, you, have to, you have to understand it's a collective. And second, you have to develop in teachers this idea that it's an ongoing process. And you are always learning and you are uh, always failing and always trying to do better. With that famous sentence of Bernard Shaw, failing and failing each time better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a teacher is failing, but each time he fails better. <laughs> and uh, so this, uh, this idea of contingent, contingency, I don't know if it works in English, the, the word contingency. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It works. Yeah. Uh, Who does now? <laughs> 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 okay, I'm uh, I'm creating a new, <laughs> but uh, uh, th this idea that is an ongoing process is an ongoing process because again, again, this is in the other in the other side of special education. 
in special education, we have this idea, oh, I'm, you know, I'm specialized in Down syndrome, you know, I'm Down syndrome, I'm specially, uh, I, I know what to do. And you have to tell teachers, most of times we don't know what to do. But mm. in, in advance, we are learning what we are doing. And we are, uh, and uh, of course, we know what to, we have to do in order that we can act, but not like it was something that was a prophecy that I have to fulfill. It's something that I have that I have to learn, that I have to have my eyes, my ears, my, my sensibility, my intelligence open to understand and to be able to overcome those so difficult situations we are facing today in schools. Yeah, and that's, a, that's such a good example because you mentioned Down syndrome there. That's a perfect example of using a label and then developing a special um, teacher training uh, training package for that label. But, you know, you show me two kids with Down syndrome that are exactly the same. That it's yeah. it's it's the same as it's the same as every kid, whether they're labeled with a with a disability or not. No two children are going to be the same. So mm. if you specialize to teach a certain, you know, I'm using the word type here in, in big air quotes, a yeah. certain type of child, there isn't a type of child. Every every child is totally different. Um, and it becomes a barrier to, to because in a way you are, you have difficulty you create a difficulty to understand others and that yeah. sociological perspective is over because uh, your the maximum of your conscience is to understand that child and what about the others oh the others they don't have down syndrome <laughs> i don't understand them and this is so poor this is so poor I mean, because uh, when you specialize you lose this opportunity to understand to interact uh, to develop work and understanding with uh, all children yeah and the ironic thing i suppose is that teachers that work in schools every day know this right that no. teachers know that it it is an it's contingent as you say it's an ongoing process of of feedback and changing what you're doing and that yeah. just comes nat to a good teacher that just is the most natural thing in the world you have mm -hmm. to adapt you have to change what you're doing depending yeah. on the, the kids sitting in front of yeah. you yeah. um i wanted to i wanted to just ask before we move on there are there are people listening to this in in ministries in in uh teacher training facilities what what it based on what we were talking about what advice would you would you like to offer uh, I think we have, uh, uh, I mean, our structure of on of, uh, in-service teacher education, I think, is very interesting. Very interesting. I mean, it's a, it's a strong point. Uh, sometimes, of course, it can be improved, so on, but it's a strong point of our organization, uh, of our educational system. We have not only universities uh, that can be that can be responsible for this in-service uh, training, but more important, we have schools that uh, develop inside them a, 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 a center for teacher education, and uh, these these centers are sponsored by the Ministry of Education and they organize uh, courses not only for them, but for a specific region, for, for a county, for instance. In that county, they are the responsibles for uh, organizing uh, in-service education. 
And uh, what, which are the advantages? Most of times they are teachers doing uh, uh, teacher education for teachers. I mean, it's of course you have some people from outside sometimes, but a lot of times is is like an exchange of uh, of experiences, and um, uh, it's amazing how you can how two people that don't know can learn from each other. Mm. <laughs> because sometimes you have to school say, oh, I don't know how to do that, and I'm talking to pe people that don't know how to do it, and both of us we don't know. But we are learning. We are learning anyway, because uh, we we are building our our knowledge. We are building our arguments. We are building our our understanding. And uh, so uh, this is, I would say, this is the uh, most interesting point of uh, of teacher in service teacher education in Portugal is that those centers are centers run by. Uh, schools by schools by by uh, a cluster of schools and they are able to uh, to offer uh, some teacher education for uh, sometimes in the national level too but more for for a certain county a certain a certain territory that sounds i mean it sounds a really good idea and hopefully something other countries can can learn from I wanted to ask finally, what are your thoughts on the future of inclusive education? Oh, Richard, I, I don't have my crystal ball to with me today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not to not to finish on too easy a question. I didn't want to let you up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, one 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 thing that I think it's very important, Richard, is that uh, it's not only education that are living uh, a crisis or a, a big change. Our, our, all our society is living uh, this change in health, in housing, in food, in the, our social organization and so on. And sometimes we say, oh, we have a big problem. It's inclusion. And I say, yes, all the other things are perfect. Only inclusion is, has the problem. And so, first of all, we have to contextualize. We have to to put inclusion in the in the middle in relation with all these changes in the world that nowadays we have doubts about what is uh, what is the future for education is edu is school still a good uh, a good answer for for educating children and um, you have that report from unesco uh, our futures together that is, it's very a new social contract for education, and the question is very easy: is how how can we can we learn to live together? Can can we how can we learn to live nowadays? The public space is shrinking, is shrinking, shrinking, and uh, and and education is shrinking too because a lot of times this public space is uh, is. Uh, is shrinking and so i think the future uh, of course uh, i i only imagine the future with school <laughs> this is already very risky because now you have a lot of people that say school is dead school is dead it's over i said no i imagine that school has a future as a future if if we are able to answer to all those uh, those demands that we are living now. Uh, societies and children 
are changing faster than schools, no doubt. They are changing faster. And so we have to change fast schools. And uh, let me let me give you uh, a couple of uh, three or four ideas that uh, I think the, the school of future could uh, could uh, use. First of all, let's finish with this idea of homogeneity. Homogeneity is killing schools. We are not apples. We are not pears. We are not fruits to be equal. We need to be different and different. Be this idea of being different in schools is a, trans, a, a transversal value in school because we are looking for homogeneity all the time. In evaluation, in classes, in schools, in teachers, we are looking at homogeneity in everything. So we have to challenge and to finish this idea of, uh, of homogeneity. A second idea that I think is very important is the voice of students. We are not listening to students, and they have a very small intervention on the management of school and in learning. It's not possible to learn something if you don't talk about that, if you don't negotiate, if you don't ask, if you don't have some answers, if you have, don't have doubts, if you don't have some silly things to say about that. You have learning is a complex and a, a life, a vibrant process. If you have to listen to students, to the voices of students when they are learning and the, with the management, management of schools. One last, uh, it will be 1,000, but one third and last things. We have to find new spaces for learning. I've been uh, reading some, uh, some uh, articles about the space organization in schools. And it's so obvious that our schools have, were organized in, a, in an old way of learning. And we need new spaces, new spaces. And the question is, are there life between classrooms? Do we have life in the middle of the classrooms? And I think our schools in the future have to have this idea of being exchange, exchange of ideas, marketplaces. Uh, like like where you can you can deal places where you can have uh, different opportunities for learning and not only the classrooms and probably not specially classrooms but uh, you have to organize in another way so richard i think we are facing uh, these challenges and last question where can we find strengths to do this there's only one place, it's in the school of today. In today's school is where we can find our strength because it's where these different things are already happening in a, in a very short way, in a very, uh, sometimes it's a dream, sometimes it's a, a crazy teacher that has this, this idea. You have to start from there. Don't start from a project that came from New Zealand, from uh, Australia, from... Uh, no, start with the seeds of inclusion and future you have in your schools. Because these are the seeds that will turn into trees. David Rodriguez, thank you so much for your time and thanks for joining me today. <laughs> Bye, Richard. Take care. 
That was David Rodriguez. My thanks to him for joining me today. And thank you for listening. If you want to find out more about David's work, check out the links in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Goal 4. If you did, then share it around. You can also subscribe. Listen to a new episode every Wednesday. I'll see you next week.